one thing that we can't do is just say, well, we got to have everything buttoned up 100% secure or nobody's going to work. That's not a business reality. But I think teams need to work in parallel. Maybe they would have to cut some corners to get some initial um, initial productivity up and running. But I think the risk of just kind of assuming that that's okay and not doubling back to make sure that the environments are hardened and the connection methods are are secure is is really critical these days. Welcome to the Zero Hour brought to you by Safeguard Cyber. This is a special episode dedicated to understanding how businesses are um, coping with the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, our guests today are Aaron Pritz and Tim Sewell of Reveal Risk, which is a management consultancy uh, out of Indiana that specializes in uh, cyber risk and privacy. Welcome, gentlemen, to the show. Thanks for having us. Pleasure to be here. All right. And as ever, I am joined by my colleague, Ashley Stone. Um so thank you for the time. We are recording uh, remotely as everyone is now working from home. Um, so, you know, things have changed very dramatically and very suddenly, I think, since we first met, which is at RSA. And if you can believe that world was only just a little under a month ago. Um, so let's first check in and just uh, understand how is the reveal risk team doing i assume you are also all remote yeah and our business really is uh fairly remote friendly we um, do consulting across the u.s and while we do make client visits we've really gotten really good at um, being remote facilitators to save on the client travel expenses and also to meet them where they're at, um, wherever that may be in the U.S. or world. Um, so for us, mm -hmm. it's a little bit of business as usual. The only difference being our physical office in Indiana or Carmel, Indiana, specifically right side of Indianapolis. Um, we uh, usually do a lot of collaboration there on site when we have the opportunity, but we're taking advantage of all the remote tools that um, offer some of the same abilities. So it's not too out of the ordinary for us to be remote, but I guess uh, we're, we're also learning as well along with the rest of the world right now as they adjust to the new normal. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I want to sort of retain the seriousness of uh, a pandemic, which is a word that, you know, wasn't in the common parlance until a few weeks ago. Um, but at the same time, to keep our sanity, I also want to just ask, um, do you have any uh, lighthearted stories that have come out of this? I would say for myself, um, we have been cycling through various illnesses in the house, fortunately not coronavirus. Uh, but what that means is uh, we are both trying to homeschool a, a kindergartner and a three-year-old, if you can believe that, and then both do our work. And I feel like the last two days I have done everything poorly. <laughs> like uh, <laughs> Disney Plus has definitely stepped in a few times while I'm in meetings. Um, so that's that's sort of how we're coping here. And I think everyone at Safeguard has been good about understanding, you know, demanding 100% productivity in this environment is probably asking a bit much. But curious to know if you guys have any war stories already. 
I don't know about war stories. I, I guess I look sometimes to Twitter for my comic relief, and I saw a really great <laughs> meme about uh, uh, spouse, husband, and wife that were forced to work in the same uh, co-located home office, uh, which has probably happened to a lot of us, including myself. And the meme uh, basically alluded to uh, the, the couple needs to make up a fake coworker so they can have somebody to blame stuff on. So I thought that was <laughs> An interesting strategy to pass the buck when you don't have anybody to pass it to nearby. That's right. Tim, how about you? Any war stories so far? Uh, yeah, actually, we had an, an interesting time uh, last night. So uh, my wife stays home uh, full time with the kids uh, anyway, and she is a, a teacher by training. So having the kids home and having to you know teach school for them, uh, she, she's actually been enjoying uh, most of that. But it's the you being on constantly, not having a, a break with the kids. Uh, so we ended up, we, we just kind of threw in the towel last night. I think we were up till about 2.30 uh, just watching stupid YouTube videos, which I don't think <laughs> I've done since college. Very therapeutic. Uh, but times, they have a change, man. <laughs> yes, uh, for sure. It's been interesting. Yes, All well... Right. One other fun fact about the safeguard team while working remotely is we've gotten a chance to get to know all of our team members, four-legged friends. Many dogs have made their appearances uh, on our webcams. A lot of canine cameos in the Zoom meeting. Yes, we love it. (laughs) So, you know, we're talking about what our teams are experiencing, but Aaron and Tim, what are your customers most concerned about these days? Yeah, I can start. This is Aaron. And uh, really, I I would say that there's different types of client personas and really companies across the U.S. are all in very different places. So, um, you know, the easiest example is companies that have invested heavily in remote work um, prior or even the um, flexible work spaces where you don't have defined desks and a lot of the tools have been put in place. Um, So that's some of our clients. And then on the flip side, um, we've got some clients and um, that are that are more focused on work in the office and they hadn't really made a big push for remote work. So I think they've got the most drastic change um, and some of the biggest learning curve to overcome as they rush to get laptops and new, new security setups and things like that to enable um, safe, safe work remote from work from home, as well as just rapidly standing up the needs to actually make it technically viable. Yeah, one of our clients in particular, uh, we, we just had our standing status call with them yesterday. And they still have some folks that are still going into the office because they haven't figured out the remote work stuff yet. Uh, so that's certainly a, a growth opportunity for them. And they're learning new ways of working. Uh, but it is definitely all across the spectrum. Uh, one of our other clients uh, is almost completely virtual already. So um, we see quite a breadth of reaction to the, the kind of the new normal here of working remote. Yeah, I would say with that, and we've talked offline about this a little bit, but with the sudden and rather dramatic shift to these work from home environments, and in some cases, as you said, um, people haven't fully transitioned 
Um, given that you have this broad spectrum of clients, um, some who have already transitioned, it sounds like some who are still going into the office trying to figure out how to transition. Um, I'm curious as to what is Reveal Risk's take on the broader operational and security risks to, uh, to, to migrating to a fully virtualized environment? Sure, sure. Um, so from, from an operations perspective, you, you've got two, two kinds of organizations. You've got organizations that are really comfortable extending trust, and then you've got organizations that, that struggle to uh, to trust their employees to work remotely. So I've I've seen examples. Um, not one of our clients, but uh, a friend of mine works for a company that, as they've transitioned to more remote work, is requiring employees to log in to a, a video chat session and just leave it open the whole time they're working. And if it shuts off, they don't get paid. Wow. Hmm. Interesting. So that, I mean, that, that just creates a, a, a real sense of distrust and they're, they're struggling to be productive, both for technical reasons, because it's a, a lot of bandwidth that they're losing. And then from a, a workplace culture of, well, nope, nobody's even looking at this feed. They're just watching to make sure that it's, it's logged in all the time and, and somebody might look. Uh, then you've got organizations that are, of course, much more comfortable with this remote environment where even though you, you may not see a person for a couple, three days, there's there's trust that the work is getting done because you can see the output. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, one of the biggest things I worry about from a security standpoint is those organizations that have the hardware, such as laptops, and those that are trying to rush to find anything that will work, whether it's, you know, go to go to a Best Buy or a Amazon and get a laptop, or even potentially worse, you know, use your home computer and here's the way to log into the environment. Um, I think as security pr- practitioners, there's a lot of ways that you can do both of those things in the right way, but they do take some process and time. And time is really not what a lot of uh, companies are afforded with as they try to rush to, to get out of the red from a non-productive shutdown standpoint. So um, I think one thing that we can't do is just say, well, we got to have everything buttoned up 100% secure or nobody's going to work. That's not a business reality. But I think teams need to work in parallel. Maybe they would have to cut some corners to get some initial um initial productivity up and running, but I think the risk of just kind of assuming that that's okay and not doubling back to make sure that the environments are hardened and the connection methods are are secure is is really critical these days. And uh, I, I do I do worry a bit about the the workforce members kind of defaulting to home tools that they know, like you know for example social social media chat uh, mm-hmm. that may that may not even be um, protected from a data ownership of what's being typed in there, um, but also not necessarily secure. And uh, from a re- I was talking to a, an attorney a couple of days ago about um, records management concerns where uh, specifically legal holds are required for certain industries under certain litigation. And if people are working in non-visible environments, then that can increase some or can cause some legal risk from that perspective. So lots of different, I think, risks to think about. But I think 
in this crisis, you've got to think about what are the most important things that you need to get right and then stay, stay with it as you figure out how to dial in the security as the crisis uh, starts to subside. Indeed. I think an all or nothing approach is not conducive to very agile or emergency planning. Right. Um, right. And when you, when you yeah. talk about those non-visible environments, that also includes things like collaboration tools. If, you know, Microsoft Teams or Slack hadn't been in place before, what, what are some of the risks you see with teams adopting these tools so quickly so that they can keep business moving forward, but they need to be aware of what, what are those risks? So there are a couple things with those collaboration platforms uh, that, that jump to mind. First of all is the configuration. When deploying either of those tools, uh, you'll see dozens of different configuration options available. Some of them work at the, the tenant level, so apply to the entire company. Some of them work on groups. Some of them work on individuals. Some of them work on endpoints. If you're rushing to deploy these tools, you're not able to take the time to thoughtfully go through all of these different options and understand how you're configuring uh, your environment. Uh, for example, some of these tools allow anybody else in the world that's got that tool to talk to you. Mm -hmm. So if you don't want that functionality, you can shut it off for yourself. But if you've deployed quickly, you probably didn't. And these tools are designed to increase communication, to increase collaboration. And when you're talking about sensitive content or, or things that, that need to be protected from unauthorized users or that need to be retained for intellectual property or regulatory reasons. Uh, when you go to that default open, that default share, uh, on, on one end, you can actually be giving up your legal protections of that data because you've now, you know, we've made it public and intentionally or not. Uh, but you, you can also inadvertently disclose. And that can be particularly uh, damaging in the case of uh, regulated data like uh, FERPA student data or mm -hmm. health information. Yes, I think it's going to be particularly challenging for the education institutions that, you know, basically we're all asked to stand up university level online learning with three days notice. Um, I, I think that the FERPA, uh, issue presents a very unique risk. Again, they, they took up these tools very quickly, but they didn't have time to thoroughly roll out any review and it's probably easier to miss con putting controls in place. A absolutely. Uh, my, my daughter's school is actually a, a great example of this. Uh, they were rapidly going down the path of a particular platform and uh, I actually sent the, the teacher a text and said, I, I'm not sure you want to use this platform and gave a couple reasons. One of them was the, the privacy component. And so they're not using the platform, but they, you know, they haven't picked another one. So um, we're still working through that. 
And, and I think, and I think what we'll also see, we were just talking about this yesterday internally. We naturally went to the security risks first, but there's also, um, if you take an entire workforce and you take it out of the office and this ties back, um, to what you were saying about workplace culture and you put it online, you know, have you become liable for an environment in case there is cyberbullying or harassment or inappropriate content. Um, there was, for example, a company here where there was a Slack channel uh, in which some staff members were sort of joking about the eventual coronavirus death toll here. Um, and that had to be shut down. But I, you know, if you are taking enormous organizations or school systems and you're putting them on Microsoft Teams, for example, where previously you had a bit of a a, a legal shield, like I can't control what the students do on Twitter outside of school grounds, but now you have created a digital communications environment. What What is your risk exposure there? How do you police that behavior? There's a lot of risk for the organization under those conditions. Um, as soon as it, it looks like it's a work-sanctioned or school-sanctioned environment, uh, you know the, the legal precedent is that there is monitoring or there is an ability to control. So again, if you if you haven't configured the platform properly, uh, and even if you have, you still have to monitor it. Yes, I mean uh, the, the scale can, is crazy. We have a client, it depends on the day and the activity, but in their Slack environment, we are monitoring anywhere from 30 to 70,000 messages a day, depending. Um, so you can just imagine uh, what, what that's like without any sort of automated uh, process. Um, so uh, Aaron, you had mentioned um you know, looking at risk from a business continuity standpoint and, you know, you may not be able to do all of the things now. What I think what's interesting is we have also seen some of our own customers uh, shifting resources in interesting ways. So, for example, um, events budgets are out the window um, and they have this money and they have to find ways to use it. And so we have a pharmaceutical client that was taking uh, the money that they would normally have to host HCPs to now securing their field force to use WhatsApp, which is something that they hadn't done before. So I just thought that was a very interesting pivot. It's not, it's sort of making, getting a silver lining out of the situation. But I think it's interesting that we may see um, decisions being made that under normal circumstances, an organization could afford to hem and haw, but now they have to make very real revenue driving decisions. And I was wondering if you were seeing any similar lines of thinking among your Yeah, among no, your I, I, lo I love the solution um, that you guys provide in that it does allow you to monitor some of these everyday social tools. Um, I spent some time in the pharma industry and definitely there were use cases where you had to meet the client, whether there was a crisis or not in the environment of their choice. And it varied by country. Some tools were more secure than others from an end encryption encryption standpoint. But what we didn't have historically was a way to monitor um, those channels uh, 
for legal hold, like I mentioned earlier, but also for malicious behavior, data exfiltration, um, har harassment, kind of you name it. Um, and I think there's also some, you know, been historical confusion on what, when you say the word monitor, um, that can obviously stoke some fears of people thinking that this is like the FBI listening into, you know, phone calls or something like that. And, and really, mm -hmm. um, most of the monitoring technology that I see are really preventing external bad things from happening. And in certain cases, insider threat related monitoring, you know, people stealing, you know, attempting to steal stuff. Um, but for the most part, I think the, the push forward in technology and being able to, um, monitor on what's going on can allow companies to push a little bit faster into using some of the cool tools that we um, viewed as off limits prior or really difficult to get comfortable with the risk. Um, I, I've historically said from a risk management standpoint, you can do almost anything that you want to in business as long as you have the right controls and the right ability to measure. Um, so I think as as more measurement tools or more monitoring tools and more controls start to pop up on some of these um, really cool tools that are out there, it will it will allow more and more of the um, environments to blend and really companies to take take advantage of the the uh, tools that are working for their employees and their customers. For sure. And it, it also for these global organizations will take a very. um regional approach, right? So you may be a global organization. Maybe you haven't stopped work in some countries. I, I doubt that at this point, or maybe you did institute it early, but those communication channels may differ from, for example, Latin America versus uh, Southeast Asia. And then you sort of get this confederation of tools. But I think if, as long as you agree that the, the reason you're enabling them is uh, to, to drive business that, those right. differences can be overcome. It just takes a little, maybe a little bit more thinking. Right. And, and what's, what's clear from that is that we're able to change and adapt to the new environments that we're working in. Um, you had mentioned that some of your customers have already enabled remote work, so it's not really much of a change for their employees day to day. But for other companies, it's new and in some ways, this pandemic has really forced transformational moves that maybe would have been delayed in normal circumstances. So if we're thinking about these companies that are transforming pretty quickly, do you think that there's going to be a quote unquote return to normal? I think it's a, a little bit of a mixed answer. I think, uh, you know, digital transformation has been a topic for five, 10 years and, you know, going back to you know, Blockbuster needing to go digital and not seeing it early enough, or you name your other example that is uh, that are often touted. Um, I think this is kind of pushing everyone to digital, whether they had a vision for that or not. And I think some of the learnings will be applicable uh, going forward, and they'll want to keep some things in steady state and other things and certain types of businesses may may snap back to more of what they looked like before. But I would be surprised if uh, there'd be a single company that wouldn't have had an aha or a cool learning of something that was a positive silver lining mm -hmm. through this that they wouldn't apply to their steady state business. Yeah, there's a that old proverb that I really like for this kind of a, a situation. It's no man crosses the same stream twice. 
uh, because the second time he comes around, the, the man is different and the stream is different. And I think that's the situation we're going to find ourselves in with these new ways of working that we're discovering as part of this pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think you can put the genie back in the bottle. Right. Once a function can be done remotely, why does it have to come back into the office? Yeah, I think that poses one a real question for commercial <laughs> real estate. So sorry, guys. Um, but certainly for a lot of those long haul commuters, the folks coming into metropolitan centers from way out, if they've, you know, after three months, you know, fitted an office and they're just as effective and they're hitting their KPIs, it's going to be pretty hard to pull them to, you know, say like, well, things are back to normal. Get back on the train right in for an hour and a half. Although I don't know if you, uh, uh, you know, also, cooped up in a single house for a month or two, you true. might be Fair racing enough. to make that commute again. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But also, and also to Aaron's point, if you've taken these uh, regional field forces or whoever and said like, you know what? Yes, we have found a way for you to use WhatsApp. That is definitely a genie that's, that's not going to go back in the bottle because you know, everyone will always navigate and migrate toward the communication channels that are the most efficient and to give them WhatsApp officially and then take it back is, would be um, kind of a step backward for business. I think there's a generational component to that as well. So you've got a lot of folks in the workforce that are used to doing business face to face who are now being forced to adapt and you've got a lot of folks in the workforce that are very comfortable with this digital environment. So as, as both learn the, the advantages, because I've heard some, and I, I hate to use the term millennial, but I've heard some millennials talk about how much they miss being in the office that they never expected that they, they would because they felt so comfortable with the digital side of collaboration. At the same time, You've got folks that are more traditional, you know, boomers, Gen Xers, who grew up with more of this face-to-face is how work gets done. They're learning the value of being able to work digitally. So I think you've got both sides of the story are learning things about each other's work style that are going to be long-term impacts here as well. Yeah, that's interesting also because I... My armchair analysis would be maybe the millennials and the Gen Zers feel more comfortable doing the work in a digital space, you know, chatting somebody when they need something. But from a professional development standpoint, if you had your supervisor or a mentor or someone that you could physically walk over and you had like a one-to-one or something, that's probably where that face-to-face was much more valuable. Yeah, I I stole an idea from my wife, Uh, several of the groups that she participates in her small group at church, as well as a a business related uh, group started doing virtual happy hours this week. Uh, They still needed and craved that social connection, uh, which is often softened by a nice smooth cocktail. Um, but, but also, um, (laughs) they, they knew that they couldn't do that today. So, um, what they have been doing that I'm going to steal is doing like a zoom or teams meeting where everyone's on video 
mixing cocktails and having a chat really brings a little bit of the social. Um, you can see more cues of how people are reacting versus just a phone call where you don't mm -hmm. really know how somebody's reacting or uh, can't really drive the empathy that you could in, per in person. Yeah, that is also a good point. Ashley and I have been a part of uh, Safeguard's transition here, which also includes a, an all hands. And typically, you know, one or two people had the video on. Um, and most of these calls used to be dial-in because we were physically together in the office. But now it's required to turn the video on. And in some ways, I feel closer to people in the company than when I felt than when we worked physically because now I can see the entire company really at cool. once. Um, cool. Also, speaking of memes, yesterday on Twitter, I saw one that said your uh, work at home wine tour, which was like a architecture's rendering of a house, like a blueprint, and it just had a a little wine glass in each room. So that, that would, that would be, that'd be a different, uh, different sort of company get together. Um, well, I think that's all the time that we have for today. Uh, Aaron and Tim, I want to thank you very much for taking the time out of your, uh, probably very busy work at home schedules. Um, and, and thanks for lending yeah, your thanks expertise. Thanks for having us. Really enjoyed the time. That's been a pleasure. Thanks for cool. joining. Well, Everyone, uh, stay safe and uh, be well. And hopefully we'll get through and we'll see each other on the other side. Awesome. Of this. Hang in there. Talk soon. All right. Thank you. Bye now. Well, thank you for tuning in. If you like what you've heard, give us a rating. Give us a review. We'd love to hear from you. Um, in the meantime, we give our thanks to Abby Bruce, as ever, for sound design and production, Matthias Cephalidi for our theme music, and until next time, stay safe. This is the Safeguard Zero Hour, signing off.